It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pre edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist editor with Rick Brewing. It's, as always, presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Mortgage. We'll talk some sports topics of local interest, some college basketball, college football, Bengals, etc., uh, we'll, we'll get to a gambling topic, which we've not done so well on of late, at least I haven't. And of course, the favorite topic for me on the uh, podcast, where you can go to Twitter, hit Rick up with the uh, hashtag AskSkinnyAnything, and you can ask me a question on any topic, and I will try to provide an answer. It is cold outside, Rick, but we're heading towards indoor sports season, college basketball. we got a lot to talk about there, a lot to unpack, college football, a lot to unpack, Bengals get back underway against the Steelers. So a lot to talk about in this podcast. And we'll get to the Bengals and the Steelers, but first we're going to give the people what they want, Skinny. It is about 12 hours now as we're recording this after NKU beat Cincinnati 64-51 at Truist Arena. I haven't slept yet. I hope it went well for all of you as you were able to tuck yourselves in afterwards. But I uh, worked the late shit at Channel 12, and here we are recording the podcast now. So I've still got plenty of takes to get off about this game uh, but I want to hear from you. What were your initial thoughts when you saw this game go final with NKU winning by 13 points? Uh, obviously, the margin of victory, one thing. The fact UC scored 11 points and a half of basketball in the shot clock era, which is just mind-boggling crazy. and mind-numbing. It's crazy to think of. And, and honestly, I mean, it's nice you got Landers Nolly as a transfer and all that, but you still don't have any shooters. And and it's it's a shooter's game these days. That's the concern for UC fans, and we knew that coming in, but you were hoping, I think, with Nolly added to the mix, that would knock everybody down a peg, and now all of a sudden, DeJulius has a little less pressure on him, Davenport has a little less pressure on him, who knows, maybe even get a little bit more out of Victor Locke and in terms of a scoring presence on the offensive end, but that just wasn't enough, and I think the bigger concern in this matchup was the fact that they weren't able to figure out how to get any good looks for David Julius or Landers Nolly against NKU's matchup zone. Yeah. I mean, at this stage of the game, it, listen, I think Kent's pretty good. I mean, after, after seeing that game and, and seeing really some, of the, some of the scores of, of late for Kent, they might be the best team in the Mac, but, but saying that then where, where would that put UC in the Mac at the moment? I mean, honestly, because Kent state dominated that game. Yeah. I mean, Kent, Kent state would hammer UC. I don't even think that's in question. And the biggest thing, and I think you saw this with the NKU UC matchup, NKU wasn't overwhelmed physically. UC does not have a, a dominant high major looking team. Uh, they, they just don't have a, a great talent level right now on their roster. And I think you saw that against Cleveland state. I think you saw that against EKU and finally it caught up to them in this loss. So yeah, if they went up against Kent State, Kent State's got a big athletic physical team. They would they would have some trouble. God, can you imagine how ugly the the the, the Houston game might be? Ooh. Oh, it's not going to be pretty. I mean, that's going to go for a lot of teams in the American oh, Conference. Oh, dude, it's, it's already good. I, th- right now they are the, they are the easiest team to bet. You can just look at the line and go, yeah, they're going to cover that because the other team's not going to score more than forty five points. A lot of unders this year in in the American Conference. Skinny, let's flip to the other side. What did you see from NKU to? I mean, to pull off this win, I've said it a few times now. It was just there's a lot of people that put a lot of time and energy and thought and years of their life into realizing a night like what just happened last night at NKU. Uh, to see it actually happen for real was was pretty crazy. Well, for stars. I mean, aside from from sincere Carey being on the floor for Kent State, Marquez Warwick is going to be the best player on the floor a lot of times, right? I mean, he just is, especially in the league. And he was last night. And I'm not so sure Sam Vincent wasn't the second best player. And I'm not sure the best big man wasn't wasn't Chris Brandon. I mean, he goes and gets another double-digit rebounds for this team. I mean, this is a legit good team. I think we got spooked a little bit, and we always do this in November, and, and hope maybe we're that there with UC with this loss of – these November losses sometimes spook you the way they happen or who they happen to. You know, the Kent State loss spooked me a little bit when it came to NKU. I thought uh, you, you know, they were it was a basically a pick 'em game from Vegas. I, I thought they, while Sincere carries the best player on the floor, you uh, NKU might have had the second, third, and fourth best players on paper on the floor, and it didn't come to fruition. But I think what this shows is this is still this this team's going to be held held to play in in the, in the Horizon League. Yeah, and I go back to that Kent State game when Marquez Warwick couldn't shake sincere carry and just couldn't get any separation to get going on the offensive end. It left NKU looking kind of shell shocked in that game. And they just couldn't recover from that. And he never got on track in this one. 
he was firing right out of the gate, knocked down a three on his, on his first shot attempt. And that seemed to put the, the rest of the team at ease. And I think that kind of comes with the territory of being a go-to scorer and the alpha on your team. Your teammates are going to feed off of your energy and what you're able to do. And when you have those off nights, it's going to be tough for your team. So I think as Marquez Warwick goes to some extent, this team goes, but it shouldn't always be that way because they have other talented pieces. Sam Vinson, obviously what he did in this game was fantastic. Yeah. And I mean, and what Braden's done on the glass for, for every game so far. Yeah. He, he's really been an unsung hero. I mean, against Victor Locke and he was given up probably three inches or so, and maybe a little more than that in terms of the length, but his athleticism and toughness just really neutralized Victor Lockett, especially in the second half. Rick, I don't know who's in that tournament with them next week. I know they play Florida Gulf Coast. Who, who else is in that tournament? Do you know off the top of your head? It's a really good field, actually, for NKU. That Florida Gulf Coast game right off the bat is going to be a tough one. You look, they already got a win at USC this year. Yeah. So uh, pretty impressive right there. They're two and two now. And they just lost to Tennessee last night by 31. So a big loss there, but Tennessee's top 25 team in the country. So uh, the other teams involved, you've got Drexel and UT Arlington, East Carolina and Indiana State, and Toledo and Kansas City also in the event. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at their non-league and I'm throwing Washington State in there, which just lost to Prairie View. I mean, could they get out of the non-conference with a law, just the one loss? I think it's possible. I mean, I I wouldn't say it's expected, um, but no, but I think it's possible. Yeah, I think it's by now. It's also possible they could turn around and lose to Florida Gulf Coast in the first round yeah, of this tournament. Fair, you know, so fair. it's pretty easy to be up for a game when oh, you've no got question. a sellout crowd and yeah. you've got a high major team in your own building and it's a regional rivalry. It's a little bit different in some of these other games that they're going to be playing with a thousand people in the building. So they've got to be able to to harness what they brought in this game in terms of the defensive toughness, the rebounding, and the shot making isn't always going to be there, but it'd be nice if you could find a way to be as aggressive and attack as much as they did in this game offensively. Because really, when you look at it, they didn't settle for threes. And this is an NKU team that was averaging, I think, 27 or 28 three-point attempts per game coming into this one. And they only had 11 attempts on the game. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I'm saying. Part of that, you look at that, you go, it shows, A, you were able to get where you wanted to get to, um, and B, that you didn't luck into a win by, you know, making 14 of 22 threes. I mean, you went out and beat their ass. Yeah, and I and you're right. I mean, to your point about UC giving up some of that stuff, it's, you know, a lot of people are going to look at it and say, well, why doesn't NKU shoot fewer threes every game? Why don't they attack the rim more? Well, part of it's because it's what UC was giving them. UC, I think, was a little bit arrogant and thought, we're going to get extended and pressure them and, and force some turnovers, and partly because they need to to create some of their own offense off of their defense. But in doing so, they created a lot of opportunities for NKU to just drive right by them and go to the basket and get fouled or or get an easy bucket. So I think that's part of why you saw NKU attack the glass so or attack the lane so much and and get to the rim. All right, so now the fallout for UC is is bad because now they got to go play in the uh, in the Maui Invitational. It's a loaded field. I mean, it felt like I would have said this probably even if UC had won last night's game. It just feels like they're going to be playing Louisville for seventh place in that event. And listen, plenty of good teams have gone one and two in Maui and been just fine. But really, honestly, for UC now at this point, you just lost a game that you have to win. If you want to keep an at-large bit alive, you've really put yourself up against the eight ball almost to the point where you've kind of screwed the pooch on this unless you somehow pull off a miracle in Maui. Yeah, I mean, that's what it's going to take now. The Maui tournament becomes kind of their saving grace if they can find a way to pull a big upset because we talked about this when the non-conference schedules came out, Skinny. They left themselves no wiggle room in their with their non-conference schedule. They just do are not playing enough quality teams to give themselves a chance, given the fact that they're going to play an AAC schedule that's got some pretty lousy teams in it when you're talking about East Carolina and South Florida and Tulsa. It, it, I mean, that the, the strength of schedule is just not going to be there at the end of the year, especially when you add this loss to a Horizon League team in there. So, yeah, I mean, that trip to Maui really becomes huge for UC in terms of their at-large hopes, I think. 
Well, and it's hard to be optimistic there too, right? I mean, I'm talking about trying to save save a win against an 0 3 right now Louisville team, and, <laughs> right. and arguably, I mean, those three losses were only by a point apiece. It's a little weird, but nonetheless, I mean, I, I go back to even if you, they'd won that game, I, I thought that that's probably what UC was playing for. But if you you know if you do that, you go one and two, and you go. All right, through the non-conference, we beat Xavier. Just throw that out as an example. Um, and we went one and two in Maui with a loss to Arizona and pick your other really good team. Then if you had a nice run in the AAC, you could maybe make a case for being an at-large, but you've really put yourself up against the eight ball. Who and, do you think- and, and, and maybe that's the thing is it, it, this wasn't going to be an NCAA tournament team anyway. Well, and I I can agree with that because before the season, I, I said, I, I don't know that this will be a, a UC team that makes the term. And I think they're on the bubble and probably on the wrong side of the bubble. But if that's the case, you're now talking about how long is it? How long has it been since UC played in an NCAA tournament? Right. And no, if Wes Miller point. is going to go into the Big 12 next year with a team that clearly doesn't look equipped to compete at the Big 12 level. You think they're going to make it next year? I mean, without extensive roster turnover, which is pretty difficult to do. Yeah, correct. I don't. I don't know. He's in a tough spot now. You're going to be staring down three straight years of your own tenure where you haven't made the tournament, and add on a couple more years where you didn't make it prior to that. This fan base is going to get restless quickly. Understandable, and it you know, and as bad as the loss on the court was in, in losing to NKU, I mean, the loss of, of Isaiah Collier earlier in the day to to uh, to USC's. Just as damning. I mean, because that was the guy. Listen, you you pin your hopes around that kid, and and I think a very nice complimentary piece in Rayvon Griffith, and then hit the transfer portal, etc. You may have the makings of something, but now you're kind of back to square one with just a bunch of guys. A couple questions here. Someone did ask for an ask any anything question. We'll ask it now, though, since you just brought it up. They said, with it being such a tough day for the Bearcats yesterday, what was worse for them? Not getting the number one recruit in the nation or losing to NKU? Yes. <laughs> um, honestly, I, th- I think it's I think it's the loss of Collier, and, and only because of what I've read and heard. I mean, it felt like like Wes Miller was in on him really early before he kind of blew up, and that's kind of disappointing, right? I mean, you, you kind of feel like you see a diamond in the rough, and you're on him the whole time, and you're in the finals, and his team comes up and scrimmages a local high school team in Sycamore, and that feels pretty good that he's coming up here to maybe showcase himself, maybe get a feel for the fan base, etc. Um, and, and then to get that kicking the shillelagh and then have to go out and, and play um, a road game at, at what you think is little brother across the river and get curb stomped there. That's a bad day, man. Ooh. Kicking the what now? What's that? Kicking the what? Kicking the shillelagh. Shillelagh. All right. Yep. We'll, add that, we'll add that to the list. Uh, you know, what? A, real quick here, just another thought on the, the NKU side of things. Trayvon Faulkner only having five points in yeah. this game. Yeah. Not I mean, being he, a big factor. I mean, if I would have told you that yeah, before the game. Offense. How would you have felt about NKU's chances? Yeah, I think in most games that they need to have, you know, Vincent Warwick and, and Faulkner in, in double figures. Now, Trayvon only averages, what, about 11 and some change a game, but usually pretty consistent. And, you know, how he, he scored half of his average. Yeah, I would have thought that would have been trouble time. I mean, I would have thought you would have had, had to have a night where all three of those guys were having their A game. Well, and that probably speaks to the emergence of Chris Brandon, too, on the yeah, offensive right. end, becoming a threat, right. being able to give them 10 points, being able to knock down that face-up jumper and, and give guys some matchup problems inside. So that's a good point. The other question I had for you was Louisville, UC, neutral court. Who's favored right now? Um, It's got to be UC, right? I'll say UC by two and a half. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a close spread, but I would I would assume UC's got to be the favorite. Still. Yeah, and, and and listen, like I said, I mean U of L is zero and three by a total of three points, but you also have to look at the three teams they lost to by the one point. I mean, good yeah. lord! I mean, that, what a rock fight that game's going to be. You want to talk about two teams that don't <laughs> score it well? Is that, is that the like the noon tip off on that final day of Maui? <laughs> yeah, it's it's gonna it it likely will be i would assume and uh that's that's not going to be a very good basketball game although it will have a, a lot of local folks interested in it that's for sure yes indeed yes indeed all right let's run down some of the rest of the local college basketball slate from this week cuz there were some interesting games skinny i think we'll start with xavier because they have an interesting game coming up on friday night they beat fairfield 7865 Trailed at halftime in that one. I didn't think it was a very interesting game. I, you know, some people are like, "Oh, is it concerning for Xavier?" And my answer to that is no more so than you should have already been concerned about this team 
based on what we knew about them coming back from last year. They're, they're not a great outside shooting team. They're going to have their their laws offensively where they're not scoring it as well. And the fact that Colby Jones was out and didn't play well, in this the, one will set point. you back. Yeah. So Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the concern I have there is Colby Jones sitting in a walking boot. How long is that going to be? Right, right exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it's just like, is, is the Xavier team great? Uh, no, probably not. But the fact that they started slow against Fairfield doesn't really raise any red flags for me. My question for you is, how do you view the Indiana Xavier matchup on Friday? Do you think this is a, a good measuring stick to see where Xavier is, but little chance they actually win it? Or do you think it's going to be a competitive game? No, I think it's a good measuring stick if Colby Jones plays. I mean, if he doesn't, I mean, I, you need to have hands on deck against a team like this. I think this Indiana team is a board. I think I talked early in the year it, based on their odds. I think I plunk a little bit of money down for them to win the national championship. I don't think they will, but I think it's a really good team. So to be clear, if, if Colby Jones plays, you think Xavier does have a chance or you think it's a good measuring no, stick, but I, they're not going to. Yeah, win. I know. I, I think it's a good measuring stick and I think they do have a chance. But I think Indiana's better. And so I wouldn't freak out if you lose to IU with Colby Jones by eight points. I think it's just it's IU's just a better team. Yeah, I, th- I think most people feel that way going in. I, I think the interesting matchup is going to come in the front court when you have Trace Jackson Davis, who's a player of the year candidate, and then Race Thompson, who is a nice piece and, and definitely uh, an impact player on the defensive end, going up against Jack Nungy and Zach Freeman, who have really played pretty well for Xavier. I'm looking forward to that matchup between the two front courts. Yeah, I agree. I mean, Trace Jackson Davis is just, he's just such a skilled scorer. That's such a tough matchup for, for anybody. Um, but I, no, I think Xavier's got a puncher's chance if Colby Jones plays. I do. I think, I think that's a great measuring stick for them to see where, where are they at this point? Cause it doesn't uh, get much easier next week either. No, I mean, yeah, you look at what Xavier has coming up and you've got Florida in the first game of their PK 85 event. And then it could go a couple of different ways from there, uh, which with big time opponents, whether you win or lose. So, um, right after that you have southeastern louisiana but then you have west virginia and cincinnati following that up so we're going to get some some good tests here ahead for xavier and see where they're really at as a team after the first three wins over by opponents yeah no question all right uk michigan state skinny champions classic matchup this looked like a game where uk had it in the bag multiple times and Somehow, Michigan State comes away with the 86-77 win in double overtime. What what stuck out to you about this one? I mean, this is just a crushing loss for UK fans who are sick and tired of seeing them lose these marquee matchups. Oh, my. I, I don't do this very much, Rick, if at all, but I went to a, a UK message board just to get the temperature in my lands. Listen, I've, I've, I've been a long long time non-Cal fan, but the fan base is so turned on him, man. He, he, he better, he better dig this out quickly. I'll be honest, Rick, if you look at their upcoming schedule through the UCLA game, they've got a couple of buy wins in there, but Gonzaga this weekend, which did lose last night to to Texas, but closer to Gonzaga than to Lexington, uh, Michigan and UCLA. I mean, they could be, if you wake up on Sunday, December the 18th, this could be a six and four team in the non in the non league at that point, and that is that's pretty ugly for a team that has the aspirations of being a Final Four team, being talked about as a, as a potential national champion. And certainly, in order to do that, the better the seed the, the that you can get, the better your chances should be. But I mean, that that takes you quickly out of the running, probably for a one seed because you're not running the table inside the SEC. You put yourself behind the eight ball a little bit. This was just such an ego game for Tom Izzo, I felt like. All those out-of-bounds plays and the end-of-overtime oh, situations his guys executed for dunks. The, Perfectly. the, the yeah. optics are that he completely Terrible. outcoached Cal. And whether no that's question. right or wrong, and I tend to think it's probably right in this situation, but it, it doesn't matter. I mean, the way If you're a casual fan watching that game, the way it played out at the end, you are going to come away thinking, oh, wow, Tom Izzo completely kicked Cal's butt. And he did. And some of it, I mean, some of it too, you go back to, again, the lineup combinations that keep leave you scratching your head. After the game, he complained out loud that he probably should have played Antonio Reeves more because, quote unquote, he can go get buckets. Now, he didn't have how, a great game. But, but I mean, how many years in a row are we going to do I, this dude, with his experienced shooters? That's my point. I, 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 I just don't get it. I honestly don't get it. And then I heard him complain and yell out how 
um, you know, my team just wasn't ready to, to finish off a game like this. I knew that coming in. I was trying to tell everybody we weren't ready. That's on me. I got to get them ready. And then he goes on to say on the one out of bounds play, Oscar got out of position. Da, 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 da. I'm like, well, I mean, these aren't that's not a Kids. freshman we're talking no, that's, about. That's, that's a veteran a, out of position. But why? Yeah. Why? Why couldn't he be ready for that type of situation? That doesn't make any sense. That's one of your best players. A guy who's been around. That doesn't make any sense to me. Some of the excuses that he's throwing out there right now, I'm just, you know, to some extent, I get it. The way you do things and you're you're turning over your roster a lot and you have those young guys coming in, it can be difficult. And I understand taking your lumps early in a season with those guys, but this team should look a little bit different. This team isn't exactly that type of team. Yes, you have a couple of freshmen in your starting lineup still, but they're five stars and you got some older experienced pieces around them that know how to play basketball. No, Rick, just from the eyeball test, when, when they're clicking, I mean, I said it in the first half as I'm watching, I'm like, this is it a damn great good in the team. First half. This is a damn, I'm, I said it out loud while I'm like, this is a damn good team. I mean, I said the same really, thing. Really I, good. I, I was only able to watch until the end of the first half because Xavier had a game that night. So I, I left my house at halftime and I left the house thinking, oh man, UK looks great. I mean, they're going to roll in this one in the second half. And then a few hours later, all of a sudden I start seeing text saying the game's in double overtime. Yeah, no, it. I, I think that's the thing for him is he needs to honestly stop stop looking back in retrospect and saying, I should have done this. Well, stop shouldn't have done it and just do it. I know you're going to give up a little athleticism and probably a little playmaking ability, but it might be worth it to have a guy or two on the court who know what the hell they're doing. Uh, and, and, you know, I, there was a couple sets, too, where I, I, I wish he'd have left CJ. And I know CJ didn't shoot it well, but leave him on the same side of the floor as Shibway. And, and and have him be ready. Instead, he's running to the other side of the floor, and and he's not going to be able to pass out of the double team to that spot. It's just they just they look discombobulated. And and you know, can I argue that are they better off without Severe Wheeler? Probably not. But it just feels like it just feels like they were out of whack the whole night. Yeah, and that was with a- getting and that was with getting your two best players back. Right, and then they played well. Both of them played well statistically. But right. as you mentioned, she was out of position. Severe kind of caved down the stretch a little bit too. But yeah, I mean, statistically, yes, they both played well. The thing you bring up about Severe Wheeler is interesting because he does put up good numbers and he's a very talented player, but it does seem like defenses are able to scheme against him and make it tough on you. And overall, the team doesn't seem to flow as well when he's running the show. I'm not, I'm not oh, sure very, exactly he's why very that ball is. Dominant. I mean, he's a very ball dominant point guard. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, obviously they've got a bye game coming up, but that Gonzaga game on November 20th, so Sunday, is going to be another big-time opportunity for this team. And, I mean, it's hard to – well, I shouldn't say it's hard to imagine them winning because they're very talented. If they play well, they can absolutely beat anyone in the country. But, um, you know, Gonzaga's very good too. You come away with a loss here and – uh, just that's a tough start for UK fans who oh, are looking for something it, different this year. And and you still got Michigan and you still got UCLA. Yeah, no, I mean, and th- those are nice, but it's just like having to wait for those, you know, with these two marquee games early and having the team that they thought they had coming into the year. If you right. lose both of these big matchups early, and th- the problem is Michigan State wasn't supposed to be the good one. Michigan st- State was supposed to be the team that was down a little Correct. bit and, and should have been an easier win, and it just didn't happen, so... I mean, ultimately, does it matter that much? Probably not. But for the fan base, I totally get it right now. It, it just yeah, sucks. But, yeah, it, it, it can't multiply on itself. I mean, if this is one you look back and you go, hey, you know, that loss in November, that double overtime loss to, to Michigan State was tough. But, hey, they ran the rest of the non-league table and wind up going, whatever, 15-3 and three inside the SEC and it'll all be forgotten. But like I said, you could be waking up on, on December the 18th, which is not very far away, Rick. And this team could very easily be six and four. And the fan base is going to be getting very, very loud. And finally, Skinny, we've got to do what's come what's becoming our weekly update segment on Louisville's season, which you know, we don't really care about Louisville, but at this point it's just so funny you have to keep talking about them. They lost again this week, another bye game, lost by one, 61-60 to App State. They don't play again until Monday in the Maui Invitational against number nine, Arkansas, which I'm sure that'll go well. Uh, and they are also only the, the only division one team since at least the 1980, 81 season to lose each of its first three games by one point. This is just, uh, I mean, obviously they're terrible, but at this point, skinny, it's just getting comical. It's crazy comical. Well, I mean, um, 
you think the you think the you know you go back to Lenore Ryan in the exhibition season and losing that game. I mean, it doesn't count on the record, but that that was, I guess, very foretelling. And it was also um, televised too, so all the Louisville fans watched right. it. It wasn't like one of those secret scrimmages where, okay, yeah, it happened, but no one really saw it, so it's not real. It's like no, everyone watched that on TV too. And it's plausible, like I said, that they they, they in Cincinnati play play the seventh place game at Maui. Um, let's say for argument's sake, they lose all three to Ma- in Maui. That's 0-6. They come back to play Maryland. Then they jump inside the ACC to, or, to play Miami and Florida State. And then they do have a little stretch where maybe they get the win. They got Western at home, Florida A&M at home, Lipscomb at home. After that, their only other non-league game is at, at Kentucky, which obviously isn't going to go well. And then the rest of it's ACC. I mean, are we staring at a six-win Louisville team? Or am I being generous? I, I was going to say, I, honestly, like, how the hell do you get to six wins with this group right now? I, I really don't know that. I mean, watching them play, Hersey Miller is getting legit minutes for them in real games. Hersey Miller was going to be Xavier's second best walk on a year ago when he was on Xavier's roster. So I don't know how Louisville got to this point where they have such little talent and why Kenny Payne didn't think he needed to go out and get anybody in the transfer portal this offseason. But this is what two two years ago, not last season, the year before that, Boston College went two and eleven in ACC play. They were four and sixteen overall that year. Skinny, do you think Louisville can win more than two ACC games? Obviously, that was a truncated schedule that year. Right, that was the COVID. Yeah, I think they can. I, I do. I honestly do. It just just because. But maybe I'm wrong. Well, I mean, at least at least he got the commitment from from Dewan Wagner. Oh, wait a minute, no, he didn't. Oh, about that. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is a, a total disaster. We talked about it last show. I really think this is going to get bad to the point where he's not going to make it out of a second year. Well, that's it's a back to back coaches, Chief. That's a that's a lot of coaching turnover in a five or six year span. Some of it obviously due to issues, but man, oh man, for a program like that, that's that's insane. And I believe Kenny Payne's buyout is ten million initially and then it goes down it is 10 million initially and then it goes down by 2 million each year after the first year of his contract so it starts at 10 million decreased by 2 million each year um, with the exception of year five to year six when it decreases by a million at that point so i think if you do it in the second year you'll probably owe him an eight million dollar buyout and uh, you know, if it goes, if it gets to a situation where it's totally toxic, middle of the season, you got to do it. You probably are able to come to some type of agreement on terms and maybe you pay them 5 million again or 6 million, something like that. But, but at that point, you're going to have to do it, man. I mean, if this thing continues down the path that's on right now, and that may seem harsh, but I just don't, I don't, I think he's completely in over his head. He's in a tough job to begin with. And I don't know why Louisville thought it was a good idea to hire a job with no prior head coach, hire um, a guy with no prior head coaching experience for this job, especially at a program like that. Right. It's not. I mean, it is as big time as you can possibly get. Yep. With a ton of pressure. Bad, bad. All right. That's enough Louisville talk. Let's switch gears here to the football portion of our podcast. And we'll start with the Bengals. They have eight games left following their bye week. I think the big question here is we both think the Bengals need to get to 10 wins to make the postseason. They're in the exact same situation they were in last year. They found a way to win five games out of their last eight to make the postseason. Skinny, do you think they can find a way to win five games out of their last eight this year? Yeah, I did a column on uh, on Tuesday that that looked at five storylines for the second half of the year, five things of note, and then and, and, a, and a final record prediction. And I did – have them getting to that 10 win plateau. I mean, it, it, you can win these two games coming out of the bye, in my opinion, but, you know, split these two, split the New England Tampa road, road swing. That gets you two of the wins. Then the question is, can you win three of the four home games you've got? Well, one of them certainly is, is should be extremely winnable, and that's the Cleveland game. And that takes us down to Baltimore, Buffalo, and Kansas City. Can you, can you squeeze two wins out of those three opponents? I, I think they can. I mean, let's face it, they have. And Baltimore beat on the road until the last second field goal and didn't even play all that well in that game. Buffalo certainly looks extremely fallible right now. And God knows what Josh Allen's elbow is going to look like by the time that they play them. And right or wrong, 
it's a one-year number, but the Bengals did beat Kansas City twice in a season. I mean, do they have their number? So I do, I do think they can get to that 10-win plateau. Um, I think it's going to be almost impossible to win the division because they're, they're going to lose the tiebreaker scenarios to Baltimore, um, because of their, their poor comfort or poor division record at this point. Um, but I, 10 wins get you in the playoffs, in my opinion. I think this team does get to 10 wins. I'm going to say, I, I think so too. I'm going to say at Steelers, home against the Chiefs, home against the Browns, at the Bucks. And home against the Ravens are the five wins. Yeah. And and I'm not putting them past past them going to Tennessee. Tennessee's not all that dynamic. No, they're not. I just I that feels like a tough game to me. Agreed. Agreed. Tennessee needs that game bad too. It's a home game for them. I don't know. It seems like they're getting healthy. Uh Excuse well, and, and they're going to be coming off. Of, they're going to be coming off of a ten day window because Tennessee plays the Thursday night game this week, so they're going to have a little extra time too. True. Looking at the this team on the bye week, what are you hoping, or what should Bengals fans be hoping, maybe more accurately, that this team improves on coming out of the week, or that they change? I don't think change is the word. I think it's if can you bottle the consistency that you showed for most of the drives against Carolina? Um, Nobody's expecting another 240-yard rushing performance, but can you get that number closer to 130 yards per game? Um, I do think you saw Joe Burrow play extraordinarily well once again as the bye approached over the last four or five games. I mean, you know, he wound up the first half with six interceptions, Rick, and three of those came in a half against Pittsburgh. After that, he was pretty darn accurate and pretty darn good, and the numbers – suggest that. And, and, you know, I'm writing a story actually today from some of the stuff he talked about yesterday, where he's kind of looking forward to the challenge of this schedule on the back half um, and, and carrying the load. And I think he's ready for that. That's such a Joe Burrow thing to say. It is. No, it is. But, but I think, I think he tries to talk that into, into, into belief too. Yeah. I Um, think he believes it, but that's totally something he would say. You know, can you, can, can, can you get fortunate enough to get Jamar Chase back in time for him to matter? And, that was one of the things I wrote about. When will he come back and and how will he look? I mean, we're all assuming, okay, whenever he comes back, it's going to be same old Jamar. I hope that's the case. Uh, we all hope that's the case, but is it going to be? I mean, the hips can be a strange thing. And, you know, we've seen the last couple of days in the locker room still hobbling around on crutches. So it certainly doesn't look like Tennessee's in play. And feels like Kansas City's getting to be more of, more of a long shot for him to play. But, but maybe he does. Maybe he grits it out and guts it out. But again, it, it, is, is he the Jamar, the explosive Jamar of old? I, I think that's a big question mark still has to be answered. That I keep getting that question of when do you think he's coming back? I don't think he knows when he's coming back. Nobody knows when he's coming back. It's a tricky injury. Well, it sounded like this week he was still on crutches, hobbling, yes. around, hobbling yeah. around the locker room. Yep, he sure was. And I mean, so like I said, that's that's a lot. What other injury updates? It sounds like there were so, there was some positive news on DJ Reader potentially. Yeah, he um he he was he practiced. Um that's a good sign. He's not on the injury report because they don't technically have him on the 53 man roster yet. But uh, yesterday sounded like it went pretty well. If it goes well today, I would assume he'll he'll play on Sunday, probably not you know 100% of the snaps, but get him in there at least on a rotational basis. And I just think that I think that's a big get in many ways. It, it, I think it there's a trickle down effect to the pass rush. Yep. When he's in there, um, not that he gets the pressure necessarily that, that gets the sack, but it keeps quarterbacks from escaping up in the pocket because he does such a good job of pushing it. I think it then helps B.J. Hill, who has not put up big sack numbers like he did last year. And then it trickles down to the ends being able to, instead of quarterbacks stepping up around them, they have no place to go and down they go instead. So I, I think the return of D.J. Reader is huge for this defense. It's weird. It's like he doesn't put pressure on the quarterback he puts pressure on the offensive lineman to block him and right. that That's makes right. them weaker for everybody else to attack it's yep. it's kind of a strange impact that he has but i totally agree about the trickle down part of that yeah and that, that's the thing there's no i mean i guess you can statistically measure it by whatever goofy analytics you want to look at of of quarterback pressures or pocket pressures or win rates or all those things all, all i know is is just from talking to players and talking to Luana Rumo is there is a trickle down effect to this for for him and it and it is real yeah, you could just see it watching them when he's on the field versus when he's not. There's there's clearly been a difference. Um, any are there any other injury things out there that people need to know about? Yeah, the only other one is Mike Hilton. Um, has the has the whatever I don't even want to call it a cast. He had it wrapped. Um, but he, he's he's good to go. <laughs> Excuse me, he was a full participant in practice on Wednesday, so uh, that that's a that's a nice get back. Because I do think they're probably going to have to blitz a little bit more in the second half, and and Mike's the best blitzer they have, in my opinion. 
And, and so I think getting him back is huge for all the different things Lou Anarumo wants to do. The other question I had for you was something we talked about heading into the bye week. It, it, was it time or not to make the change at the punter position? Do you think we're going to see a change to Drew, Drew Chrisman there? I don't, not, at least not for this week. I, I I think if they were going to do it, Rick, they would have done it and been done with it. And instead, there's Kevin Huber in the locker room on Monday talking to us, um, talking about planning to punt in Pittsburgh. I, I think, you know, to see that, you know, Zach was asked yesterday what Kevin has to do and his response was pretty non-committal. It was, we'll, we'll let him, you know, we've, we've been working him both during the week and we'll make that decision. But I, I don't think they're ready to quite pull the trigger on. I think the, I think this is last best chance time for Kevin. But I, I just think there's that familiarity of the known versus the, I see the kid with the howitzer leg. I, I, I But guys, I don't trust him to give me consistent punch yet. I think that's where they're at with that, of the consistency. And I know you can go, well, Kevin Huber's consistency is consistently bad. It really isn't awful. It's not 15 yards of punt awful. It can be better. He's done it in practice. That's the thing. If they've talked about, he just hasn't taken it to the game for whatever reason. So I think for them, it's all right, one last swing at this. Let's see how it goes. If it goes poorly, then I do think they make the change after this week. They've had trouble with elite edge rushers and everybody does to some extent, but it seemed like Earlier in the season, the elite edge rushers have kind of wrecked their whole offensive game plan and and gotten them out of sorts. Do you think the Steelers can just be a bad matchup for them in that regard because of TJ Watt? Or I do. especially if you look back to last year, do you think eh, that's probably not the case? No, I do. And and you know, some of that though, I'm gonna have to rely on Joe Burrow to to do what he's talked about doing and started to do more of take the easy throw, not holding the ball so long to 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 take deeper shots when he doesn't need to, especially if they get in those five-man protections and go shotgun, go uh, go five wide and shotgun. Joe just has to make a quick decision, get out of his hands, and that frustrates pass rushers. Um, I think running the ball better will help help that. But, you know, I've tried to give outs. I asked Brian Callahan yesterday his, his evaluation of the two tackles, and, and he gave a pretty glowing recommendation, I guess, of Lyle Collins. Not as much about Jonah, but um, you know, we talked about Jonah's faced some really tough, tough matchups over the first, you know, eight or nine games, and I didn't expect him to roll Jonah under the bus. But um, I think some of the, some of the help for the tackles will come from Joe Burrow, and I think he knows that. And I think you saw it as that first half went along, first half of the season, where he did start taking the easy check down and the easy throw, and and not holding the ball so long. And so I, I think that'll help a bunch too. Anything else with the Bengals here before we switch gears? No, I mean it feels like every week for them is a is a do or die week, right? I mean, you you this is one that you you can't you can't lose this one. You just can't. And then we you lose this one, then you can start really sweating playoffs. But I, I don't think they do. I think they they're they're fairly healthy. Cheeto Uji not being around hurts, but again, you're facing Kenny Pickett. You're not facing a dynamic quarterback that can probably take full advantage of that. You're facing a real pedestrian offense. Well, well um, you, you say that, but you almost look, beat them with the, Joe Burrow. The backup young quarterbacks are the guys that own the Bengals. So I I don't know if that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if they've owned them. I mean, Cooper Rush didn't exactly light it up. He think they scored 20 points, but your point's well taken. I mean, they lost to some pretty bad quarterbacks in that first half of the year, but I, it's just not a very dynamic offense. I I, I just, I, I think the way the Bengals play that Carolina game, give me hope that they've kind of found something in the run game. And I think that'll make a big difference. All right, college football, top five in the college football playoff rankings were unchanged this week. Not much to talk about there, but there were some interesting games, and we'll start with your boys. What the heck happened to the Wildcats? They lose to Vanderbilt 24-21. Skinny, what's what's going on? It's pretty dysfunctional. I mean, you got a lot of finger pointing going on. You got the offensive coordinator talking about young receivers not running routes correctly. Um you got the quarterback who's frustrated by getting sacked a lot and seemed very frustrated at the offensive line. Um, it doesn't feel like they rely on Chris Rodriguez as much as they should. I mean, he should get 30 touches a game, in my opinion. He gets 18. Um, and then defensive at the end of the game, you, you got a corner that got hurt. They had a young corner they put in the game, and suddenly he's one-on-one down the field against their, their best receiver. They throw a jump ball on fourth and 11 and hook up for 40 yards. I mean, how do you leave a kid like that on an island? That's just stupid coaching. And, and so... This week's going to be ugly. Can you get out of the Louisville game with a win, go to a bowl game and get a win? Maybe, but it feels more like this team's going to lose out and go six and seven and lose a bowl game. And that just, that's unacceptable in a year where you had high hopes and rightfully so high hopes to, to compete for the, the title in the East. 
How much is this impacting Will Levis's draft stock? Do you think? Based on everything you hear, not much. I, I think I, I, you know, some of it. You could argue Will holds the ball too long at times, but I, I still think they see a guy with just a lot of tools, kind of like Scout saw in Josh Allen, where you look and you go, "Gosh, the guy's only a fifty-two percent passer." Ugh. Um, but they saw tools, and I think that's that's what it comes down to. They see a, a big kid with a big arm. Um, some leadership skills, all of those things. He, I think he's been compromised by the foot injury where he can't run as much and he can't scramble as much and he doesn't move around the pocket well enough. But I, I don't think it's impacted him a ton. I really don't. I would agree with you. It doesn't seem like he's dropping much according to scouts, but I, I think it might be more of like an opportunity cost situation here where if they were playing better football, he might have really thrusted himself into that QB1 draft. Yeah. Spot. Yeah, that's 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 probably accurate. I, I would give you that part, but I think he's still a top 10 pick, maybe even a top five pick. Yeah. And then clearly in there among the top three quarterbacks, it seems like so. And, and I don't know that that's going to change regardless of what Kentucky does. So uh, Cincinnati beats ECU 27, 25. Is this a good win, Skinny, or another brow raising performance by the Bearcats, in your opinion? Both, because I think it is a good win. It was a game that, I mean, I thought East Carolina had a legit chance to win, and they did. But listen, you don't get any points for legit chance to win and almost winning. You get a W or an L, and in this case, UC got another W. And I, listen, there are still issues. They, they're they just not consistently moving the ball. They still have to hit big plays to score, but they still won. And, and they still have a chance to, to win the AAC championship. It's still very much on the table. And coming off a year where um, I feel like I watched, I watched a bunch of, um, a bunch of red zone on Sunday, Rick, and I'm watching, I'm watching, you know, uh, well, two Sundays ago, watching Sauce Gardner make the big play against Buffalo. Uh, this past Sunday, watching Kobe, Derek Force. I mean, Derek Force makes a play. I'm like, good one. It's three guys out of one secondary that are starting on Sundays now in this league. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm in the shower going to do TV, and I, I, I hear my Jay Sanders comes up with a sack. It's like, geez, old Pete's, you know, and, and Des Ritter's a backup quarterback. In, in Atlanta, I mean, you lost so much and you still have a chance to win this league. That's pretty damn good. Oh, yeah. And, that, and that's the thing I think UC fans are losing sight of in terms of their where they're at overall as a program and, and where their season's at. But from game to game, I do kind of get some of the frustration with the offensive issues they've had. And I know people are getting sick of it. And I kind of am, too, to some extent. But. Here's what I don't understand about the argument for Ben Bryant over Evan Prater. There, you mentioned it, that their offense really relies on the big play. They struggle to keep drives going. And the argument could be that, well, Ben Bryant gives you a better chance to hit those big plays, right? Which, which I understand that. The thing is, though, if you look at this game against ECU, they had the 100-yard kickoff return for a touchdown by Jaden Thompson. And the two big plays they had in their passing game that went for touchdowns were a tunnel screen and right. a quick slant to really fast receivers who ran after the catch. I, I mean, you're telling me Evan Prater can't do that because I don't think there's any doubt that he would help in the run game, give you more there and the pocket presence for Ben Bryan at times and the erratic overthrows that he has that don't seem to have any rhyme or reason to him. I mean, like, you know, at some point that does get a little bit old. It does start hurting you. Yeah, I'm, I'm I'm deferring to the coaching staff, though. They see something that we don't see. That's the bottom line. Sure, I just... I, I get I, fans' I, frustration I, with it. I just don't really understand that part of the argument. Is like, it, it's... Well, we're hearing about how I, great I'll, he is in the passing game. How how great is their passing game right now if they're, you know, is if really all it takes is a tunnel screen and a quick slant? Well, but I, I will tell you, um, as much as it sounds easy to throw a quick slant, I mean, sometimes ball placement means a lot too. hitting the guy on the dead run. Maybe Evan Prater, that pass goes behind the guy. And instead of it being a touchdown, it's an eight yard gain. Yeah, he completed it, but it wasn't the way it was, should have been complete. I mean, I think there's little nuances that's, like that. Uh, that's mean, true. Do we but... know that Evan gets you in and out of checks? Right. I mean, you know, I, I, again, I know everybody fusses about this, but do you, I go back to, do you trust Luke Fickle as a coach? I mean, that's, that's what it comes down to for me. If you trust him and I'm not telling this to you, I'm just saying it to the general public, shut up about it. I mean, if you trust uh, him, I don't think it's that. I don't, think it's, that, I don't think it's that easy, though. You can trust Luke Fickle as a coach, but also have concerns about who is calling the plays right now and how they're handling well, the quarterback situation. Yeah. And I think in this instance, if if the answer is quit asking us about the quarterback situation because Evan Prater clearly isn't in the conversation, well then. 
the question becomes, okay, well, what ha- what the heck happened to the, the the talented quarterback that you brought in that you were raving about and tell us how good he was going to be? Did you not develop him or was he just not that good? I've said this before. He's not that good. As a passer, he's just not. He's a terrific athlete. He's got a howitzer for an arm, but I watched him when he's had to make throws. He didn't. He couldn't. Yeah, I, mean, I just don't know that they're that good with Ben Bryant either, you know, and I think Evan Prater does give you something else. I just don't really understand the the stubbornness and the hesitancy to see what else is there, particularly when they're struggling at times. But so be it. I've never made the college football playoff. Uh, Ohio State also beat Indiana 56-14. I don't really think there's anything to talk about from that one. Went about as expected. No, I think the only thing is, yeah, the only thing to talk about there, though, is obviously the running back depth has gotten a little bit shaky because of injury. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, Mayan Williams still looks pretty damn good, but I guess they're a little bit thin. Yeah, I mean, he get he got carted off. You know, Travion Henderson's hurt. Um, it, it, it's you know, they they've still trust me. If they had to throw the ball sixty times a game, I think they'd be just fine doing that too. But um, it's it's a little concerning. I mean, not overly concerning when you're winning by forty two points and you're going to go boat race Maryland probably this weekend too. But for that Michigan game, that's getting more and more interesting by the week. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to that one, but I mean, honestly, it Indiana, Maryland, and these these games do nothing for me. The Big Ten stinks. All right, let's get into our betting segment. Skinny, not a good week for your boys. I went two, three, and one last week. You went one, four, and one. I am now 40, nice. 36, and one overall. You are 36, 40, and one overall. Your favorite bet of the week last week was Ole Miss plus 12 at home against Alabama, and they covered. My favorite bet yes. was the Bills minus three and a half, and they blew it in spectacular fashion. That That's still one of the craziest endings I've ever watched, if not the craziest. Just absurd. I don't even really want to talk about it after the way my bet went. Uh, we'll start on Saturday at 3.30 p.m. Ohio State is at Maryland. The Buckeyes are 27 and a half point favorite. The total is 63 and a half in that game. Yeah, Maryland's kind of faded quickly here. Um, They're horrible. The only scary part is the potential look ahead, right, of just kind of slopping your way through this. Because of that, I think this is going to be an ugly Ohio State win. I'll go Buckeyes 41, Maryland 14. So Maryland covers by the hook, and it stays under the total. All right. um, Looking at Maryland's last two games, 30 to nothing to Penn State, 23 to 10 to Wisconsin. Both of those teams aren't any good. I mean, I shouldn't say aren't any good. Penn State's okay, but I mean, in comparison to Ohio State, we know what the Buckeyes already did to them. I don't see this game being close. I think my my concern is the total number here. I'm going to say this is an under game just because I don't think Maryland is up to the task of scoring any points right now. I'm going to say 50-7 to seven Ohio State, so OSU and the under for me. Saturday at 3.30, we've got Georgia at Kentucky. Georgia is a 22 and a half point favorite. Kentucky, or the total is 48 and a half. Yeah, I just, I don't, I don't see Kentucky being able to move the ball and they're just going to, Will Levis is going to get sacked six or seven times. Uh, I think the defense plays a solid game, but it's just not going to be enough. I'll go Georgia 34 to 10. So Georgia and the under for me. Yeah, I'm on uh, Georgia as well. I think this spread is pretty generous in favor of Kentucky right now with the way things are going for them. I could see this easily being a 35, 42 spread, something like that. I'm going to go Kentucky 42, or uh, excuse me, Georgia 42, Kentucky 14. So I'm going Georgia and the over. Saturday at 4 p.m. All these local games bunched together again this week. 330, yeah, 330, and then four. You got Cincinnati at Temple. The Bearcats are a 17 point favorite. The total is 51. Yeah, since they got boat raced by UCF 70 to 13, Temple's lost by 11, 7 in overtime. They won a game, then they just lost to Houston on the road by only 7. And I just I can't trust UC as a double digit favorite against anybody at the moment. I think they win and they win comfortably, but it, it, the the 17 is a big number for me. I'll, I'll go UC 37, Temple 24. So Temple and the over for me. Temple in the over. Yeah, I'm on Temple as well. Same thing. I mean, I just can't see UC putting anybody away like that. Temple is into giving up points, but I just don't know that I have faith in UC's offense to to put up all those points. So I'm going to go 27-14 Temple in the under. 
Sunday at 425, we've got Bengals at the Steelers. The Bengals are a four-point favorite. The total is 41. Yeah, I think the Bengals come out with a comfortable win, Rick. I'll go Bengals 27-17. Is that right on the number? No, that's over. No, it's just over, and it's the exact same number I have. The exact same score I have. (laughs) Dead on. Bengals in the over for both Bad minds think alike. Yep. Yeah, yep. That's, right. that means you should definitely take the uh, the Steelers and the under there on that one if we both agree. I was going to say, if, if we have the same exact score, that seems like the world should collide. You're right. You need to fade us on that probably, people. Yeah. Uh, three of the last four Bengals games have gone over, and the, the one that didn't was the Cleveland game that pushed. So I am pretty heavy on that over 41 for the Bengals right now. I do think their offense is getting getting on track finally here. All right, Skinny, do you have a best bet for the week? I do. Back to the college football ranks, we will go. I love me some home underdogs. I'm going to take Kansas plus nine at home against Texas. I I really thought Texas had more than a fighting chance to beat TCU, and they laid the golden egg. Um, So I'm going to take take the Jayhawks at home in the points. I think they have a legit chance to win the game. They probably don't, but um, I I do. I I just, it's more fading Texas than anything. I like that. I like that. Kansas was the uh, against the spread darling of the college football season this year. So nothing wrong with taking them. I'm going to go with the same strategy I've been going with on these picks, although obviously the Bills screwed me last week, but they they should have won that game. Um, I'm just going to stick with the the look at the board, go with the vibes, take the team I like. Don't think too much about the numbers and the value and all that. I'm going to say Patriots minus three and a half at home against the Jets. I, I think that's a good one. I, I think the Patriots roll the Jets this week. I, I do. I think they are trying to scare you by putting that that hook on that the three. I'm with you. I'm yeah, with you. make it three and a half. I think, I think that's still really good value. Yeah, I do a confidence league where we play head to head and we have to pick uh, you know, number of confidence points. We don't use the, we don't use the point spread for it. Um, they were, I think they were my 12 or 13 point game this week to win outright. I, oh, I, just, nice. I, I think they, they handle the jets. All right, let's get into some ask skinny anything. And we'll start with a question related to the UCNKU game. The NKU students did uh, storm the court after that one. So someone wants to know how you feel about court storming skinny. I think it's weak. I don't, I, I just, I've never understood it. What's the point? You ran <laughs> on the court. What did, what did that do for you? I've I've always been in the belief if I'm a player, if I'm a player and and somebody rushes the court or the field that I'm on and they come up and say something to me, I would probably deck them. Well, I mean, you've heard how I feel about the whole people running on the field during games thing. I feel like they should be shot. I, I don't think there's any rules after you do that. The rushing the court thing feels a little bit different to me. Here's what I, I wonder skinny back in the day, the people who started court storming or or back even in your day when they were court storming what was the point of it then i mean there's no point to it now but at least know. at least the kids I have don't. cell phones to make their little social media videos during it and it's like okay i can kind of see that that's th- th- those videos are goofy and fun and i it makes sense but like what the hell were you guys doing back in the day and what did you do once you got out there because like all the kids i see I now never, are holding up a cell me, phone filming it. i'm noting you in fact one of my favorite stories i feel bad about saying this because probably Kentucky fans will hate me for this. I was on, so when I covered UK for the post back in the early 2000s, you would take the elevator and we had a, we didn't have a Sunday paper, so I didn't have to write a game on deadline back then. So you would take the field or take the elevator down to the, to the, to the field level and stand on the field for the final minute or two to walk across the field to where the, the press conference was. So I was literally on the field on the UK sideline for the, uh, for the, uh, LSU Hail Mary play that beat Kentucky at the end in whatever year that was, 2001, 2002, I guess 2002. And the kids all of a sudden come running on the field. And I yelled at like two of them as they go running by. I go, hey, idiot, you just lost. He goes, blank you, man. I go, no, you just lost. And he turned around, looked at the scoreboard. And honestly, just he, he just was stupefied. And, and they were so stupid, they're rushing the field at a loss. That's incredible. That's truly incredible. Skinny, we talked about Jeff Saturday getting the Colts interim job last week, and what a joke that was. And lo and behold, he goes out and wins his first game. What did you think of Jeff Saturday putting us and plenty of other former coaches and media pundits in their place last week? I said this Sunday, this was one of our hot take questions on the Sports Authority Sunday. You did the hot take segment the week before. Moegger did it with me this week. 
and the question of Jeff Saturday winning came up. And, you know, earlier in the day on the NFL Today show, Bill Cowher said it was a disgrace to the coaching profession because obviously some assistants on that staff were bypassed for Jeff Saturday. And I made a point. I said, you know what's a disgrace? Is that Josh McDaniels on the other sideline lost to this cat. Yes. That's a disgrace to the coaching profession. Yes. And that's the thing that cracks me up about this is guys like Bill Cowher and all the coaching fraternity buddies want another retread like Josh McDaniel to get that opportunity. Right. If they would, they want the jo- Josh McDaniel of some other staff right now who's sitting as a, a coordinator or whatever to get another shot as a retread head coach right now. And that, I mean, like, so do I think the Jeff Saturday thing was a bit of a joke? Yeah. But at the same time, do I think a lot of these retreads don't make any sense? And it's ridiculous how they do a lot of these hires. And ultimately, Green. I don't know that all of it matters that much because I do kind of think just being a, a good vibes guy and, and getting the players to buy into what you want to do and then surrounding yourself by smart people who know how to call plays and, and call an offense or defense and, and manage the clock and, and things of that nature can get you a long way. So, I mean, do I think Jeff Saturday is a disgrace to the coaching profession? No, I don't. But I also fully expected it to be a disaster in terms of wins and losses for the Colts. And I I bet against him in the first week. Yeah. And and listen, it's, I always thought the NFL was crazy. And I, I wrote a column, not critical of Zach Taylor in particular, but of the hiring of a Zach Taylor. Um, I've never been big on taking guy from hot staff. Because to me, usually you're on a hot staff because your talent was probably pretty good. That helped. And you look, I mean, look at all the guys that have come off the Bill Belichick tree who have just been abject failure. Charlie Weiss, um, Josh McDaniels at this point, Matt Patricia. I mean, just abject failures. Well, the thing about greatness is it usually requires someone to be great. Yes. So you either had a great quarterback or a great player, depending on what sport it is. Or, or the head coach was great. Yeah, or the head coach happened to be great, but it didn't mean all of you other minions were. Right. No, that used to be the whole Bill Walsh tree thing. In fact, Nathaniel Hackett's father, Paul, came off that tree, and he kept getting job after job, and he failed everywhere. I mean, he was the last coach at USC, I believe, before Pete Carroll uh, resurrected him. They were, a, they were a, a, just an absolute blank show. And, and it felt like, okay, this guy's supposed to this offensive genius, and I, I don't see it everywhere. He there was another guy, Mark Trestman. Offensive, he bounced around for everywhere. Is this supposed offensive genius off of? I can't remember what hot staff he came off of. It was no, it wasn't him. And so, you know, like I'll go back to Kentucky. They hire this rich Scangarello clown as offensive coordinator because he comes off of a hot staff in in Kyle Shanahan and the Kyle Shanahan tree. Well, guess what? He's a failure. I, and that to me is is that that's the disgrace of the coaching profession right there. Is just because you're on a on a on a hot staff doesn't make you a hot commodity as an assistant, bro. Well said. What does Skinny think about non-traditional forms of sports media, specifically Barstool, and if it's good or bad for the future of sports media journalism? I assume this is in part due to Barstool hosting its Barstool Invitational Basketball Tournament this past week with UAB versus Toledo and then Akron against Mississippi State. They did their own separate broadcast that weren't like a traditional broadcast. I assume you probably didn't watch any of that, Skinny. You, you you assumed correctly. And it's not because I'm anti-Barstool. I, I listen, I, I just A, that tournament doesn't do much too much to pump my blood to make me want to watch. Listen, man, if you consume it, then that good for you. I just I'm I'm too old to 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 try new tricks. I I'm not a huge fan of Barstool. I, I think some of it's okay. Some of it's just it's just a bunch of loudmouths. To be honest with you, I don't think it's journalism, uh, and that's fine. It doesn't have to be. You know, if you're the consumer of it, and obviously, dude, they to their credit, they have built themselves a a brand that people swallow whole. Um, I visit their sports book on occasion that has their name on it. So uh, kudos to them. I have nothing against them. doesn't mean I'm going to consume it. It's, it's kind of like this whole Thursday night game on Amazon. I've got it. I'm just not going to stoop to that level of don't make me have to hunt for your games, guys. It's like baseball on Friday nights, ch- switching to Apple TV. Do it. Go ahead. You can do it. I'm not going with you. Have a good time. And hopefully people watch, but you're going to cut off some of the consumer base at some point. The broadcast they did for these games was kind of an interesting take on. They essentially had one guy doing a somewhat serious play by play, kind of playing the straight man. And then they had Dave Portnoy and Big Cat both basically freaking out about their bets live on air the entire time. Yeah, that doesn't so like I'm not getting, you. That, does, that doesn't do much for me. I'm not they're getting lie. pissed off at certain players taking shots, get, not getting the ball to certain guys, guys fouling when they shouldn't, coaches making decisions that Im- 
impacted their bets the wrong way. It was uh, certainly unlike anything we've ever seen in a real college basketball or any type of real sports well, broadcast before. Well, so it was interesting. Did, did you enjoy I said, did you enjoy it? I don't know how much I liked that. Well, I, I was fine with it. It, it for me personally, but I also like gambling and I, I find big cat to be pretty funny. So I enjoyed that part of it, but I don't think there's a lot of mass appeal here for people worrying about their own bets during a game. That being said, I do think we there will be someone who figures out a new way to do a broadcast. And, and to some extent, ESPN's got that going with the Manning cast and the other type of second sure, screen right. Pat, options we've Pat, seen. Pat McAfee's cast on Pat McAfee's thing on Saturdays during college football. Exactly. So I do think people are figuring that out and realizing that some of us want a different option. A lot of these broadcast teams do just absolutely nothing for me. Like I don't need to hear that they're well, their poor see, recites of the game notes that oh, they didn't spend much you. time. I, 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 I fully agree with that. And, and to me, usually when I'm watching a game, you know what I'm watching? I'm watching the game. That's where right. I, I can't believe the the money that's being thrown at some of these ex players as analysts to tell me it's crazy. Uh, he's a good thrower of the football. He's a good tackler of, of the ball carrier. I, I can see those things for myself, but honestly, they don't, they don't enhance the broadcast. I, the, the, the game is what I'm watching. Just give me the name and number or whatever. That, that, that's all I really need to, uh, when I'm consuming that. That's why I, it just stuns me that Tony Romo makes what he makes. I don't think he enhances the broadcast that much. I just don't, especially of late. He's mailed it in more than ever. Yeah. Well, you should see some of these idiots they've got in the Big East doing Fox Sports broadcast. It's unbelievable. Oh, Dickie Simpkins. I've He's never worried. seen someone who stole money in a more egregious fashion than this man. <laughs> he won't even bother to look up rosters and game notes and stuff. Like just no, he just goes in completely blind. You can tell. I mean, he has no idea what the hell he's talking about, and he gets almost everything he says wrong. I've That's never crazy. seen someone who can so consistently be wrong with everything they say. He's incredible. <laughs> it's a, it's a true talent. And he's done that. He's probably done games for what a decade plus in the same conference. In the same conference, yeah. And he and he still can't figure out anything about any of the teams, any of the players, or any of the coaches. He's he's incredible. I truly admire him. I mean, he's he's making decent coin doing Big East games, traveling all around, enjoying himself, having a good time, talking about milkshakes and whatnot on air, and just absolutely having no idea what the hell he's watching. Uh, finally, skinny. What are your thoughts on Yasiel Puig getting busted for gambling? I, I I can't say my jaw dropped. I guess it's just well, you see that, and um, it 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 makes you wonder. Supposedly he didn't bet on baseball, but was he betting on on Reds games? I, I guess not. He was betting on on tennis. And uh, the thing that struck me as odd, though, is old boy was putting like thirty bets a day up on the board. That is degenerate he- status placed at least 900 bets and racked up $280,000 in losses in just a couple of months. Pretty impressive. 280 grand. Oh, I mean, I, obviously he's got, uh, he signed a contract for a mill to play in Mexico. I think this last year or somewhere. In Latin Those are like America. your boy, Art Schleister numbers, aren't they? Yeah, they, they really are. Um, you know, the fact that he lied to federal agents, but then the other part is there's another former big league ball player who was part of the gambling ring and a minor league ball player who was part of this gambling ring. You know what I found interesting about all this is when it came out, our buddy Mo tweeted something to the extent of there. Oh, there's no way the Reds front office knew about Yasiel Puig being deep into gambling when they decided not to look at re-signing him, you know, the year that he ended up leaving. No. Um, Like, so Mo was clearly saying that the Reds did know about all of this. So I guess this was just like a a well-known thing that Yasiel Puig just turned degenerate for a while and and went completely off the rails as a gambler, which no I, honestly, if you were ranking guys that were most likely to become a gambler out of the majors and he'd become be a complete, he'd be in the mix. He'd be top five on that list. I'd yeah, say no question. Jose Altuve. I, I would agree. <laughs> Why uh, Jose Altuve? And a cheater to begin with. I mean, just part of that whole cheating thing with the Astros and just seems like a guy that would 100% be betting on like Korean basketball when they get back from a road trip at three in the morning or something. Uh, I, I who did else? have a friend, a friend of mine and he listened. I, I did have a friend of mine and, and he listens to the podcast. So I won't call him out on this, but during COVID he was betting on Russian ping pong. 
Yeah, I know a lot of people get into that ping pong stuff. It must it's either easy to watch and stream or it must be fun to bet on because I see a lot of people getting into that. I don't get it. Or you feel like the fix is always in and you figure out which side the fix is in on. Yeah, maybe if you know, uh, like some Russian or Korean uh, mobsters that can help you out, that'd be that'd be good. But my me myself, I probably won't get tangled up in that. That's probably a good call. I, I I feel okay putting putting a bill on occasion into the machine down at down at Barstool Sportsbook. I'm good, I'm good with that. Likewise, and uh, hopefully you've been doing that on any team that's been playing Louisville recently, because there have been some <laughs> nice payouts in that regard. I've actually, you know, it's funny. I've I, I've made one college basketball bet so far this year. It was only because I was down there making making some football bets. Was it Bellarmine? It didn't go well. I had I had no, I had over in the Duquesne uh, UK game Friday night. It didn't go so well. Oh. Yeah, that was a weird one to make your only bet. Well, I was I was making football bets for the weekend, and I'm like, oh, I got a few bucks left over here. Let me go ahead and do because I was going to watch the game that night anyway. I didn't have a good feel for the side, and I'm like, eh, eh this looks like a good total. I'll play the total. Why not? All right. Well, I, I guess this one has fizzled out. I've got I've got really no no more questions. It looks like from an ask any anything, and uh, no more real thoughts oh, on Yasiel Puig's gambling habits. So that's all I got. Yeah, there you go. All right. Thanks for the questions. Keep them coming. We'll be back uh, Sunday with our Bengals uh, postgame uh, podcast. We'll be back with this podcast one week. Actually, you know what? We'll be back next Wednesday because next Thursday is what, Rick? Uh, Thanksgiving. There you go. Gee, my knee. I thought you could get that off the top. Uh, well, uh, look, I'm just thinking about I've got to fly to Florida on Sunday, so I'm thinking about how we're going to do the Bengals recap podcast oh, yeah, we'll on figure Sunday. It out. That's a good and point. We'll then, I'm not even worried about Thursday's pod yet. All right, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll be back. You'll, you'll know when we drop it. Rick, Rick does a great job with that. For Rick Broy, I'm Richard Skinner. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of First Community Morning.